Hey there, welcome to ATL and 29 of Peachtree Hoops podcast, where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin Chenard. I am here with Glenn Willis recording after uh, a pair of game ones in the conference finals. Uh, I guess my first question, Glenn, is, uh, is, is drop defense dead? Yeah, um, I mean, it's it's being challenged uh, <laughs> like more than I, I remember. I mean, I can't imagine a team trying to get through a whole regular season without that. It's just way too much work to run, say, something else all the time and to not account for teams that will allow you to be successful with it, like they don't have enough you know, good pick and roll talent or whatever. But I, I think what we're seeing is teams that are going to go deep have to be able to come out of that with something that will work um, and have the personnel to do it, have the uh, sort of the, be able to stay connected doing it. Uh, it's, it's, you know, I, I think, I think listeners can understand when you have your big man dropped back, it's a lot easier for the big man to see everything, communicate everything, organize everything. I think the trickiest part of kind of getting into the, a deep playoff run where you have to get potentially your big man up higher is that it takes the whole team to kind of, share the communication responsibility and share the organization responsibility and teams that run drop all season long in the regular season. I just think they're, they're not practiced at it. They're not proficient at it. And that's, and that's tough. So I I think you have to have the ability to to successfully come out of that in a deep playoff run. I don't think that's necessarily going to mean that we're going to see it start to be eliminated from our regular season viewing. Fair enough, but you got to have some playoff options. Absolutely. Yeah. I, for about three years now, I've often, I mean, I've thought that the way the league is heading, you might need three different kinds of centers on your team, right? One, uh, your traditional kind of big defensive anchor that can handle going up against a bead, you know, or, or someone like that. Um, one that can shoot and pass and kind of and move uh, defensively and get uh, kind of out of the paint. Um and then uh, one that is uh, can handle the ball, you know, play five out, help create, help facilitate, uh, you know, and sort of things like that. And and if we're going to spend, let's say a team is going to spend, say, $30 million on the position, just picking around number there, is it smarter in some ways to go $10 million, $10 million, $10 million and get three guys that are different um, and kind of equally skilled at the things that you're asking that player to do? Or is it better to go get, you know, a $30 million center that you're going to play 40 minutes in your playoff game. It's it, 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 there's not one right answer, obviously, but I've been um, curious about teams that don't have an elite center. Is that the way to kind of approach the way you're going to construct that position is to have three different guys that give you kind of one of a player that can do um, everything you might need that player to do, depending on the situation. It's fascinating to watch how that position continues to change in the league right now. Yeah, I mean, I, is, I guess this is technically a Hawks podcast, and, you know, I, I watch these playoffs, and, and that that's like the question that, you know, brings me back to the Hawks as I'm watching this sort of league-wide right. playoff action is like, what do the Hawks have in that area and how are they set up for the future and how do they make these pivotal decisions going forward? Because I think that's kind of the, the wound that you kind of want to pick your finger at and say, okay, well, it's, it's time to make some decisions here. 
make the right choices, pick what you want. And, you know, if they make some sort of trade this off season, they might be unloading a big to try to shore up something else. And, and, you know, they have to factor in, I think what they're seeing in this kind of postseason, and, and honestly from the past few postseasons into that uh, calculus. Yeah, I think so. And it's interesting to watch teams like, you know, the one that everybody's aware of is the, the Golden State death lineup, right? When they would move Draymond to center and then they have, they could switch if they want. They can get Draymond all the way up to the level of the screen, uh, showing, just showing at the level of the screen or being more aggressive and actually trapping or, or putting more pressure on the ball in some way stronger than the show. But the thing is, is if we recall the, those championship teams, like they would often start with a guy like Zaza, right? Sure. Who would, who would drop. And now Zaza would do a little more than that, but Zaza would only play about 12, 13 minutes a game, but he would play the first three, four minutes of each half for a few things. One is he's going to go out and set screens on offense and not care if he picks up fouls because he's only playing 15 minutes. You know, you know, he doesn't care if he gets five offensive fouls screening for stuff, right? But on the other end, he's going to get you organized in your in a base defense just to kind of get you a competent uh, first few minutes of defense in the half court. And then, the, and then the way that Kerr always managed that was that you would play that down to close to the first timeout at the under seven, if there hasn't been one before that. And coming out of that timeout, he would uh, put someone else on the court. Um, you know, it might have been Damian Jones, depending on what year we're talking about, or, you know, Looney or whatever, and, or Draymond, and start playing super, super fast, like all of a sudden, right? And so, but, so what I'm saying is that even the coaches who's close with – a more versatile lineup that can switch and get up to the level of the screen often still want to simplify the defense for the first three to four minutes. And when I kind of bring that back to the Hawks, it's like, well, Capella can do that uh, thing you need him to do at the beginning of the game. If that's the philosophy that you want. Right. And then a Kongwu can give you a, a play, a guy that could ramp up to 25 or 30 minutes a game and get way up higher on the floor. It's not, not like Clint can't get up to the level of the screen, but Kongwu is better at that more naturally skilled and equipped for that. Um, and Clint can handle the banging and, and all of that. So the Hawks are in you know, pretty good shape. The one thing they don't have right now is on the other end, unless they slide Collins to the five is that shooting and passing, right? That um, especially with Trey's being trapped and someone who could function in that short role and be more of um, a, a guy who profiles more offensively than defensively, right? That's the one that's, that's kind of missing, there. So it is going to be fascinating to see the way the Hawks approach that position in the soft season. Do they just leave it alone? Which they could. I mean, they're in pretty good shape there compared to the rest of the league. Or do they look at what happened in the Miami series when PJ Tucker and Bam were getting way up on Trey and they just couldn't really use a four or five to kind of turn around and tack down to a four and five the way, say, Draymond used to. He doesn't really do that so much anymore. But but yeah, that's that, that's super fascinating. But even the coaches that use the the more aggressive defenses, in my viewing, like from my observation, still run kind of a traditional base package the first two to three minutes of the game uh, a lot of times, and use kind of your traditional big like like Zaza. You'll 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 see that like Bogut Bogut did that for a while before Golden State turned that over to Zaza, right? When when Bogut got hurt and, and they moved on from. Him, but Bogut was that early in the game organizer, and Bogut might only play 12 minutes a game, depending on that. Um, so yeah, it's it's fascinating to to, to watch to watch how these uh, first game of these uh, of each of the conference final has gone 
um, a, a, differently than I expected in some ways, which makes it fun, right? To kind of, oh, okay, this this is how this matchup is unfolding so far. And it, it, it's, even though I know everyone on Twitter is complaining about, are we ever going to get a close game again? <laughs> it, for me, it's still fun to watch how, how these teams right. are approaching one another and such. So, yeah. Uh, I think you tweeted your predictions for the conference finals. Uh, do you care to elaborate, maybe share them here and, and, and why and what you yeah. saw in the, in the first game of each series that makes you think that that's a good prediction or makes you uh, doubt yourself? Or what, what do you think? Because, I mean, I, for me, I, I, like, I like Boston and uh, Golden State. And nothing in the first couple of games here dissuaded me from that entirely. I, I still kind of feel good about those two. Yeah, well, so I had uh, Boston in six. Um, I, I will say that if Boston has to play the whole series without Smart and Horford, they have no shot, <laughs> literally no <laughs> shot at all. Um, yeah. I mean, Horford is so instrumental to what they do on defense, you know, um, such a connector, you know, defensively. And the smart is that smart's the guy they want to put on Jimmy Butler, no doubt about no doubt about that. Um, and so they just don't have, I mean, they closed with Peyton Pritchard, you know, <laughs> in, in game one. And, and Peyton's yeah. a, a nice player for any team to have. He can shoot, handle the ball, and he plays hard. And he understands kind of the basic team concepts on defense and stuff like that. So I, I don't want to rip on him, but this is the conference finals. And when you're, when you're having to play a guy like him that long, his defensive shortcomings are going to get exposed. And, and, and they did. Um, and then Robert Williams is coming back from injury. And I, I feel like the workload that they had to ask him to pick up was more than you really want to in that situation. So that that's there on the Miami side. I keep saying, some people think I'm joking, but I'm, I'm really not. But I say it kind of funny way that Miami is better right now without Kyle Lowry. You know, he is just too uh, easy to pick on defensively at this stage. Um, even before he went out with injury in the, in the Hawks series, that was one of the things they were able to do to a greater level of success on offense was kind of going right at uh, Kyle Lowry in the, in the way that they did. So that's something to kind of keep an eye on. Gabe Vincent was wonderful in game one. But the, but the the thing I'll take away on uh, Boston and Miami. So I you asked me my predictions. So I had so I was Boston and six and Dallas. Dallas and six were my predictions. So um, what I what jumped out at me for Game One, Boston Miami, that had really nothing to do with the injured players was Boston consumed much, so much of their shot clock, possession after possession after possession, not trying to get Tatum on a specific Heat defender like Hero, Hero or Struce, just trying to get P.J. Tucker off of him. <laughs> they were just desperately trying to get P.J. off of Tatum. And, 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 and Miami was just like they were against the, in the Atlanta series and just like they were in the Philly series, was just so good at like showing a crowd and making it really hard to get P.J. off of Tatum. So what I'm looking for in game two is what can the Celtics coaching staff kind of take back to the drawing board and figure out how to get Tatum on a, on a defender that where he can really go to work. Uh, PJ was awesome defensively in game one, but he had a ton of help. So when I look at how does Boston have more success offensively, that really comes down to, can we be more sophisticated such that we're not using 12 seconds of the shot clock, most possessions, just trying to get PJ off of Tatum. That's not, 
um, a big enough goal to have, because right? then like, okay, well, you finally got him on to Hero, for example, with nine seconds on the shot clock, and then they're still loading extra defenders towards him to help him. So that's what I'm watching for on that side. On the other end, I, I, I tweeted observations after the uh, game tonight that what's interesting is to watch Dallas and Boston deal with this both Miami and Golden State like to run their offense wide on the floor, not in the middle. And, and it's hard work to get out there and, and help and show what, when they run a flare screen towards the baseline or a DHO uh, instead of lifting into it, running it the opposite direction, moving towards the baseline, that, that defender that's on the baseline has to be ready to kind of sprint out and run at a shooter. Miami is great at creating that shooting pocket with DHOs and flare screens. Golden State does the same thing. And Boston and Dallas, I thought, just didn't get out on those shooters at, at, at all and created a lot of a lot of good looks there. When I was watching it, I was like, it just looks like they're not playing hard or they're not recognizing that this is something where they have to be ready to sprint out at that. Um, and, and so it's going to be interesting to watch. Like, I, I thought the starkest thing tonight was Golden State was showing second, third, and in a few cases, fourth efforts on defense. And Dallas just was not at all. Like it was rare to kind of see a second effort. Um, and and it's funny because we talked about Trey to kind of bring this back to the Hawks. Teams teams want to put Trey in the spot, be the low man, the baseline defender on the weak side, right? And make Trey be the helper at the rim. And Golden State did that to Luca a few times tonight, but the thing that they were doing more often was making him that weak side baseline defender and then running a DHO towards that baseline area where Luca has to be the one to sprint from the block all the way out to the three point break. And he just was not interested in doing that <laughs> at all. <laughs> and so the, the, the Warriors, I mean, they don't put up like 29, I think 29 threes in, in this game. Um, but a lot of them were in that pocket, that that same kind of type of pocket that Miami likes to create. So there's a real parallel there between what Miami's trying to do on offense and what Golden State's trying to do up is create that shooting pocket, DHOs, the flare screens. But I mean, there were like I think twice where Luca did need to be the helper at the rim, and he just like watched the guy convert a layup and didn't even step up to at all. And there was a number of times where a shooter was coming through the DHO towards the baseline on Luca's side, and he just stayed down you know toward the 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 block and it's that's just on the dallas side that's just not going to be good enough and that's not what we saw them do against phoenix um i thought if if listeners want to go back and find it i thought mike prada put out a good uh tweet kind of saying like you know what phoenix was doing was really pick and roll 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 and dallas figured out how to cover all of that up and there's a lesson there for atlanta also right running that over and over late into the postseason, Phoenix yep. never really got challenged with having to adjust to something else that Phoenix was going to do. If you load it up on the pick and roll against um, Dallas, the way that Atlanta yep. did against Miami, they just used their secondary creators to try to attack. And Dallas' secondary creators um, were good enough in that series against Phoenix. The Hawks' secondary creators weren't good enough against Miami there. Um, but now we're seeing tonight in game one that that's not really going to work against Golden State, mainly because Golden State is using that second effort, that third effort. They're they're scrambling back to the weak side and getting two or three defenders back where the ball rotates over there to get set up and contain the ball and kind of create a, 
a bit of a wall there. And so I thought Golden State mostly just outplayed Dallas tonight. I thought the type of offense Golden State runs, Dallas didn't seem prepared to to account for that and to work hard in the different way that you have to against the Golden State offense versus Phoenix. Not so much pick and roll. Everything's wide, flare screen, DHO, you know, around the three-point break. And then Boston, same thing. I I thought Boston played hard. I thought Boston contested shots. It closed out really hard um, the whole game. Miami shot the ball well, um, but I thought Boston got frustrated as the game progressed because they couldn't do on offense what they needed to do, and that frustration eventually started showing up on defense. So that's sort of my big takeaway there. So I'm 0 for 2 so far. I had Boston in 6, Dallas in 6. Both of those teams lost their first game. Um, I feel better about Boston uh, because I just feel like they're a pretty good matchup. On the Dallas side, I'm concerned with the lack of effort that I saw tonight. And I'm concerned with how unprepared they looked for what Golden State was going to do on offense, which they should have well known. So, but we'll we'll see if they can kind of sort that out and, and come out and, and be more prepared for that and be ready to work harder in the areas of the defensive half court that you have to against Golden State. If they don't, my, my pick of Dallas and six is not going to go well. <laughs> yeah. You know, watching Dallas in, in, in game one, I, Wiggins is doing a good job. Like he's mm-hmm. he's presenting himself well as sort of a primary defender on Luca, and they they do enough. Uh, you know that there is just hard for Luca to to get a whole lot of you know good things going toward the rim, the way that that the way that they're lining up against him, and it seems to me like the offense really dies when they don't have Jalen Brunson out there. Like he's sort of that vertical threat that. You know when they're loading up on Luca, and you know Wiggins is doing a good job, and then they're so good at, you know, switching and and making it so that he just doesn't get a, a clear lane. That I mean, when they don't have that secondary attacker to be kind of a vertical threat, they just there's just not enough punch out there when when he's not out there. If it's just Luca, um, you know, he certainly he can he can get hot. Um, you know, and he can he can get to his step back when he wants to, but. It just doesn't seem like they can't get enough going towards the rim when they don't have Brunson out there. Yeah, agreed. For um, Brunson is just really crafty, kind of getting into that like weak side elbow area and kind of backing a defender down and getting that space to shoot. Where Dinwiddie is not really doing that. But I nope. mean, maybe it's the injury. You know, that, that, you know, who knows? But Dinwiddie's getting to that step back at the three point line, and he's what. I think he's traditionally a low 30s three-point shooter. So you don't, I don't think you mind that in the big picture, right? The, right. Quite, the thing that I'm I'm not sure about, maybe maybe you have a, an opinion here, is that Looney was really good. Like when they were able to switch, when the Dallas was able to get Looney drawn onto Luca or yeah. Brunson, um, in this case, like Looney held up awesomely, you know, tonight. If you're Dallas, do you keep sticking that after this game? Um, or do you do you come away from this game and say, no, that can't really be one of the things that we try to make happen on defense because I part of me feels like we'll keep going at that and just and, and you know Looney should not be able to contain Luca you know over the a, a seven game series you know but he was really darn good tonight so what, what's your thought uh, around that area in terms of what Dallas should should Dallas keep trying to make that happen or should they go away from it? I mean, I think they pretty much have to keep going at that. I mean, if if you don't, I mean, if you're doing some kind of small, small action, like, 
who do you want in there? Like you could try to go after Jordan Poole, but like who who's your offensive partner that you you want to put in there that that is going to be guarded by somebody like Poole? Like they don't have that kind of punch. You know, they're it's not going to be you know the Reggie Bullocks and and Dorian Finney Smith. Like they're just not good enough offensively. There you can do something like that. And if you even if you did, like then you've just got uh, you've got Looney and Draymond. Uh, waiting for you as sort of a secondary line of defense. So I would say you probably have to keep going at that and hope that hope that Luca gets hot. And and you know, like I said, like it looks good when Brunson's out there. I just don't think that there's enough when it, when it's when he's not. Like, yeah, I, I felt like watching tonight, watching them try to attack Looney. That Hawks fans had to kind of. S- Watch how that looked and think like, oh my god! So we saw the Hawks so many times unsuccessfully just try to attack a mismatch, you know, late in the shot clock over and over and over, and it had to be like almost a little bit of lowercase PTSD for for Hawks <laughs> fans to see it not going well for for Dallas there. But but it's interesting because when I think about what what I do, part of what pops to my head is what what Steve Kerr would do if he were coaching on the other side, and we saw the last three minutes or so of that third quarter Looney got really winded because they were trying so hard, like all that whole third quarter to go at him. And Kerr would just say, we're going to pick up the pace when he's on the court and we're going to try to get him winded by like the four or five minute, you know, at four or five minutes into a quarter. And then once he's winded, we're going to go right ahead relentlessly over and over and over. But Jason Kidd has said, we don't want to play fast with them, you know? And so there's, I, I feel like the fact that Dallas has stated they want to play slower helps Looney have more of his energy resources for a longer stretch of play. And so I, I feel like that's going to force Jason Kidd and his staff to think about, do we, do we stay married to playing slow when Looney's on the court or do we try to push the pace in a way that maybe gets him off the court sooner or gets him winded sooner so that he's more vulnerable? Um, I, and to me, it's like when you have Luca uh, that, and they played, they've played small quite a bit in these playoffs, right? Um, and, but will they, will they consider kind of, kind of going to that? Um, I felt, I felt like watching tonight that Jason Kidd and Sean Sweeney is, uh, the assistant that organizes the defense for him. Like the, when we saw so much of Neil Aquino tonight, um, I was like, well, like, okay, they're, they're playing defensive lineups, trying to kind of deal with what the Warriors throw you off. Because if, if Lucas having trouble getting space, Neil Aquino is not going to help you with that issue right <laughs> that's that's like i was i was like should you play trey in my head i was like should you play trey burke you know like you know is the especially if you're playing from behind you know you, yeah. you need more space you need more shooting and things like that but if it looked like kid and his and sweeney and the rest of the staff were like no let's stick with our defensive lineups and let's give ourselves repetitions against what golden state is doing even late in the game when the, the game had been decided that he left his group out there longer i think to get some reps you know I, i'm guessing that that maybe that was yeah. what was going on there but it is going to be interesting though to watch in game two does dallas push the pace more and, and maybe it's an opportunistic thing maybe it's not all the time but when we catch looney in transition defense we're going to dribble the ball right at him and make him work really hard um and things like that uh you know they they pick up luca in the backcourt in the way that miami did trey right they pick you know but when they draw looney what we didn't see tonight was will they back up, take the ball all the way back out to the logo and make him defend way up there and make him expend more energy and get him into more open space and make him work harder. I feel like part of the key is going to have to be 
yeah, we want to go at Looney, but we want to get him fatigued. We want to get him in more space. We want to get him having to work harder so that that opens up an opportunity to attack a, 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 a big man who's fatiguing. Uh, but it's going to be interesting to see how they tackle that. So can't wait to see how that goes on Friday. When Looney is huffing and puffing, he reminds me so much of Robert Parrish. It's yeah. just like the facial expressions. <laughs> it works yeah, it makes hard. sense. Yeah. Yeah, this younger generation has no idea how good Robert Parrish was. Seriously. Uh, I, just randomly throwing stuff out there. I, I guess I kind of want to go a little bit to, to back to the Milwaukee-Boston thing. Like, Sure. I think, I think Boston's the best team left. Like if you said, if you asked me, like, who's, who's winning the title – I think it's going to be the Celtics. <laughs> I, I, the, the one thing I would say, though, is like, I feel like Udoka is playing with fire. Like, mm-hmm. his rotation is so short. And these are, you know, they we're already seeing like, you know, Smart's out, Horford's out, Williams has been, you know, that's a longer term thing. But like, you know, Grant Williams looks like he needs a two week vacation. Like, the man is just <laughs> working so hard. And it, yeah. you know, that he's just like the prototype of like the kind of player that you need in the playoffs. Like you just, you know, he's, you know, he's kind of the, the next generation of the, the PJ Tucker, sort of the evolutionary version, you know, just kind of that six, six bowling ball. Who's just really strong, moves his feet well on defense. I remember watching him in college and thinking, man, I wonder where he's going to go in the lottery. And then, it's, you know, you look at the draft stuff and it's like, no, no. And <laughs> he's just so good. Like, it, you know, you mentioned like the off. I mean, when you're talking about centers before, kind of the offensive center, like he can kind of do that kind of stuff with the with shooting and passing. And but still, you know, function as a big man in the middle. And like, I don't know. Watching that game seven of the the Celtics Bucks series, like, did that not make you crazy? Like, watching what the Bucks were doing. Um, I mean, it's some, but like, I I didn't even have a rooting interest, and I just wanted to throw my remote at the screen. Like, what are you doing? Change something. Stop. Like, right. They just like they were, just didn't seem like there was an adjustment there. Yeah, and and that might have been about the personnel limitation, not having Middleton. Yes. Um, Drew. Drew didn't get it going, and Grayson, uh, you know, Boston kind of played Grayson Allen into a corner where he he was really not very playable, but but didn't really have another option there. So you know, for me, I was like, Bud was just like, we're gonna play through Giannis like all all the time and just try to kind of get him going down help the rim. But even though Grant Williams showed over and over and over, he's gonna beat Giannis to the spot often enough and such. Um, on the other I, side, I was more frustrated with the other side on defense. Yeah. Yeah, just like the Bucks defense is just like the uh, overhelping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, I mean, what did Grant take? What eighteen three points, three pointers in that game? So, I think. Yeah, and it's like yeah, I mean, you know, th- there were there were games earlier in the series where the Celtics got up a ridiculous number of threes, but it wasn't just like the volume of threes. It's right. like the quality of threes. Like when you get in, you, you get a foot in the paint, and then you're making the pass for a three to somebody who has all the time they could possibly want. Like you're giving them the pass from the optimal angle. You've got the defense like scrambling. Like it, it was just, 
just the overhelping at the rim just was maddening. Yeah, well, it's, it was interesting to see that kind of thread through. But, I mean, to start with, we all know, you know, Bud is going to stick to kind of his philosophy, right, of, like, we're going to put bodies in the paint and we're going to let you He was a shoot. little more flexible last year. Yeah, he, he was. But, but, I mean. He had more I mean, personnel. Right, right. He had P.J. Tucker, which, I mean, ah. so, he was so versatile. <laughs> You've been on that for 12 months. Yeah, I know. Um, and, and look what right. he's doing in Miami, you know. Yeah. So that, that that's a big deal. Like PJ Tucker throwing him in the mix with Brooke Lopez, Giannis, and Bobby Portis. That is, I mean, what Miami yeah. is doing with Bam and PJ reminds me so much of what Milwaukee was doing with that foursome, you know, last year when on the, on their run to the title. And, and Milwaukee misses uh PJ. PJ can do a I mean Portis is a good player, but PJ can do a lot of things on defense that Portis can't even dream of doing. And that really showed up in that Boston series, right? Um, I mean, Portis can't, and PJ can guard a point guard, right? You're never going to ask Bobby Portis to do that, right? And and we saw him. But he seven. does do a good job, like hedging on point guards and that sort of he, thing. But he, he, yeah, he's, he's good. not just going to take player. him out one on one like PJ Tucker does. Yeah, right. He's a good player. He's a helpful player, no doubt about that. Um, but and we saw, but eventually, maybe too late in that game seven throw Giannis, you know, uh, basically uh, out there and kind of what PJ did last year. But then you're losing like the best help defender in the league when you're, yep. when you're putting Giannis on the ball, right? He's so disruptive as a help defender, even though like Perk will like slam him for not taking the other team's best player and stuff. He's, he's literally the best help defender I, I maybe have ever seen ever <laughs> watching the NBA. He's ridiculous. <laughs> So I mean I, I get that sort of stuff, but you know they they miss PJ and then um, and you know that's kind of how that goes. But I mean um, we, we kind of compare that to what Golden State was doing. So, like Golden State's defensive priority was clearly to keep Luca away from the rim, out of the paint if they could, and Dallas got up forty eight threes tonight, which is kind of reminds you a little bit about what Boston did in Game Seven, you know, closing out against Milwaukee, and I thought Dallas. One reason I'm going to stay a little encouraged about them, even though they have a lot to fix on defense, is they just they missed a lot of open threes tonight. That they know, I think that they're going to make more often than they did in this game. So um, they're, Dallas isn't going to win if they can't figure out a way to get Luca to the rim and Luca driving, getting a defender on his back, uh, and all of that. And that and that starts with I think how you deal with Wiggins. What I thought one thing that Wiggins did tonight. You mentioned earlier how good he was, and, and, and you're absolutely right was that Wiggins was excellent at pushing Luca towards where the help was, right? So good at that. And, and um, I don't have to keep you in front of me, Luca. Who can yep. keep Luca in front of you? He has every move in the book, right? Yep. And he has all that size and all that strength. Lots but of good Wiggins was just funneling, defense. yeah, just pushing him to where the help was. Yep. Um, but Golden State and, and Bud and Buck's fashion, was they were pulling in defenders and they were giving up those, those open threes. And it just... The way it went tonight was just Dallas missed a bunch of them. Um, so that's, you know, that's another thing to kind of, kind of watch too, you know, for Dallas might go back to the, and look at the game and say, we're kind of okay with what we did on offense, apart from needing to find something, some way to get Luca downhill more. If, we, if we'll take 50, 48 sure. open threes, right. You know, we'll, 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 and we'll trust ourselves to make it up of those. Their urgent issues were on defense because they did not deal with what Golden State brought there at all. I've already, I've already talked that to death. So, um, yeah, even though these weren't close games, I thought they were great watches just to see 
and I know I, I watch it kind of like a, an X's and O's nerd, and that, that's not for everybody, but it's it's really fascinating to see how Boston does something more sophisticated offense in game two. It doesn't just use so much clock trying to get PJ off of Tatum, and how Dallas, if they come out ready to attack what Golden State throws at you on defense and is willing to work hard, and that's like the top line thing on each side that I'm I'm kind of watching there. A, a huge part for Boston, obviously, will be the score for play, the smart play. It's huge, but that, I mean, that's going to happen or not happen. It's not. It's not necessarily interesting from an analysis standpoint. Uh, was there anything that Miami did differently, X's and O's wise, in the second half of, of that game one that that they weren't doing in the first half? I just thought they were um, more more crisp, um, uh, and and I thought that um, they just recognized Jimmy had it, and they and they and they don't normally go to the hot hand so much. They stay in their system and they move the ball and all that sort of stuff. But I mean, Jimmy was making tough shots that whole second half, you know, and and he's kind of been doing that the whole playoffs. So it's, it's not like we can very easily call it an operation, you know. But I mean, Jimmy had it, and then and and like I said, it's not often what they do. But they, I thought they just kind of rode that and was like, "Well, do you have with Marcus Smart out of this game? Do you have someone that can defend him?" Um, and then as I think as the Celtics realized they needed Pritchard's, Pritchard's ball handling on the court badly, um, then one of the things they did was Jimmy. They got Jimmy and Pritchard a, a bunch in the second half, and so it's just riding the hot hand, Jimmy. And then sort of connected to that is getting Jimmy onto Pritchard absolutely as much as they can. So, this, I mean, if, this, if Smart can't play, they're going to have to play Pritchard because they need that ball handling. Um, and they're going to have find, they're going to have to find ways to make that switch that the Heat are trying to make happen harder to execute um, in some way. And we'll, we'll, and we'll see how they do with, do with that. Yeah, I don't like to say nice things about Mark Smart, and you know why, but he's made himself, <laughs> he, he's made himself quite a point guard. Like, yep. I mean, the, the fact that you can run him out there as a point guard and then get all that defense from your point guard is just – that's almost an unfair advantage. That's, that's something. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of parallel between him and Drew Holiday, right, um, you know, in terms, of, in terms of that. Like, there was a game where the Bucks beat the Hawks – last year one of the games that they won in that series and i want to say that like drew was like four for 17 on offense or something like that or it maybe even been like four for 18 or something like that and my my comment was well he was the equivalent of like 15 for 20 on defense because he just was like <laughs> an absolute wrecking ball and was blowing up everything and smart smart can do that i find uh drew to not be the product do you borrow your phrase the product the leader that marcus smart is you know drew's not out there flopping you know and stuff like that and so drew is a more enjoyable watch to me for sure but that's a different thing that's a different thing than talking about the value smart brings smart brings an absolute ton ton of value even if he's not the most fun watch sometimes i i still enjoy watching him because he's just a team guy such a glue guy he works hard and and all that sort of stuff but it's sort of like when i watch him eat like how can you not really enjoy watching Joel Embiid? Like he's like a seven foot guy who has all of Kobe's moves. Not really all of them, but you know, you know what I'm saying, right? Like that's just something like appreciate it while we have it because that's the comparison. There is smart has a ton of value. Embiid is a unique player. 
with it beads flailing and falling and the, the flopping on smart makes it a little less fun to watch than it could be without that stuff but that, it's undeniable that both both of those guys are, are really 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 viable to their teams um um and so yeah it's um I mean, I, I don't know how Boston deals with not having smart if he's going to miss more games. I, that changes everything to me. Um, but yeah, I, I probably went on a little too long about being smart for Hawks fans that are listening, but it's, <laughs> you know, it's what the, it is what it is, I guess. Is there anything else? Uh, I, I think I've uh, run out of my list of questions and things I wanted to talk about. I, mean, I, I think I've hit on hit on everything. Actually, I know I know. Wait, wait, one more. Oh, okay. uh, who's going to win the Who's going to win the championship this year? I mean, if I I'm, I'm with you, I think Boston has the best chance, but everything changes if they have Smart and Horford are going to miss more time. You know, so I, I don't. So I mean, if everybody is has this kind of equal health, I, I say Boston. Um, but I, I guess the one thing that would change that for me is. If like Dallas just never brought the the effort adjustments and such on defense, and Golden State got out of this like in four or five games and got got some extra rest, I think that might change the calculation a, a little bit there. Um, but I mean, at the same time, it's like I feel like we're not being kind of respectful to to Miami. You know, I still think yeah, Boston has I just worry about their offense. Same, I do same too. as before. Yeah, yeah, I, I do too. Um, but the, the the thing I feel like I want to point out there is that their execution they're they're executing at such a high level right now, and and that that matters, you know even even if like the way I imagine the series going and who should have advantages here and there, and I keep coming back to Boston really having more to work with and having more offensive punch just like just like you think, I, you know I I just I think it's just it's respectful just to say Miami's at executing better than any other team in the playoffs so far in my mind that they're hitting the mark on everything they do you know everybody has a different view on like how system basketball how that works and does that work when you get into crunch time in a close game you know um and things like that and and, and there's something to be said for how uh, unhelpful that can be sometimes now sometimes we'll just roll the ball with Jimmy let him go um but you know i i just feel like uh, just not even mentioning the possibility that Miami can kind of get through. And I'm not a huge fan of their depth. You know, once you get past Bam and PJ and Butler, uh, I like Vincent. Um, I mean, you know, kind of Deadman is vulnerable defender. Yeah. You know, Hero, Hero, you can get at him. Struce, you can kind of get at him. So I, I feel like, I mean, it's one of the reasons I thought the Hawks would have, you know, an underdog shot at them was because I thought the Hawks would be able to attack those defensive, those defensively vulnerable players. And it never happened, but I, I just feel like it's only fair to say Miami is executing at such a high level, but it just, it wouldn't shock me if they, if they won this thing because of their level of execution, but I don't think it's likely, but to not even mention that, that it's possible, I think is kind of an unfair way to try to <laughs> cover, the, oh, Miami, cover the whole Miami's conversation. Good. I, I, I don't like, I don't like the PJ Tucker on offense versus Robert Williams on defense. Like if they get a Horford back, it it seems like they, they, you know, they can't live with PJ Tucker in the corner because Robert Williams is just too good at covering the corner and getting to the rim. 
And so they bring Tucker up to like the top of the key sometimes to do some, you know, some stuff there and dribble handoff stuff and setting picks. And it's like, he just kind of gets in the way. Like when, when Bam is doing it, you know, he's rolling to the basket and there's, there's a threat of something and that keeps the defense busy. And when Tucker does it, it's just like, you know, maybe he kind of cuts down the lane towards the basket from the top of the key, but then it just looks like he's getting in the way of the main action. So it's like, they can't live with him at the top of the key. They can't live with him out the corner either. And it's just, you know, I, I think Boston is the, the sort of the best poise for the series and best poise for the championship. But you know, like, you know, we said a bunch of times over and over again, I, the, the health variables are, are scary for them. Yeah. But I, yeah. I'm just very worried about, you know, they have to have PJ Tucker on defense and, you know, how do you make that work on offense? I just, you know, there are series where you can, I just don't know that this is a series where you can make that work on offense. Agreed. And that's, that's one of the reasons I think we both feel like Miami has some offensive limitations that probably show up in this series and, 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 and factor into the outcome of this. Um, and I also feel like in some ways, like hero is kind of overrated as an offensive player, but he's not the most efficient guy. He would turn the ball over. He's not, he does he can't do a million things with the ball. He kind of has about four or five things that he kind of gets to in the seven game series. That stuff starts to catch up with him, but he's not super diverse. Right. And then, then like it, uh, we we talked about you and I talked about this heading to the Atlanta Miami series of like let let Bam jack up you know thirteen footers off the dribble you know and and that's not to say that there's not value in those guys but I just feel like those are things that Boston can say well we're happy with that if that's what they get to right um, and so I, I do think over the long haul the Miami limitations on offense add up and factor and then the second part of that is especially if you think about this going six or seven games does this workload, offensive workload, start to catch up with Jimmy, right? Because he is having to do so much work right now. You know, uh, I mean, maybe he has it. He certainly has looked awesome, but he's a human being. And and I think that if, if this – I'd be surprised if this doesn't go at least six. And I just think that it's hard for him to have the defensive workload and the offensive workload that, that they, they need from him and to think that that's not going to show up in his – shooting or you know just just fatigue showing up showing up for him so i you know i see more vulnerability i think we both see more vulnerability for miami um but if they just out execute miami in a seven game series i'm at a point where i'm just like okay i I, this is the third round (laughs) and they've just been clicking on all cylinders from that execution standpoint i won't be shocked i just feel like they have they have vulnerabilities that boston could take advantage of especially if they're um have all their normal guys. Fair enough. All right. Let's uh let's do this again soon. Yeah, sounds good. It was fun. Thanks, Glenn. Yep. Thanks, Evan. Have a good night. You too.